Happy New Year. Happy New Year. late. <laughs> oh, and we should thank the orchestra for leading us. Sounds like a round Great. Cello. Fantastic. Um, so, last week, as a after the service and our discussion time, there were some really good points brought up and um, some really good discussion even after the discussion time. But there's a couple things that Sue shared about the gospel of the kingdom. John Barron's later on talking about uh, So this is all related to the already not yet aspect of the kingdom as you're talking about this. And so I thought the things that were talked about afterwards are really important. And so I'd like to just start by spending a little bit of time kind of backtracking and then moving forward on that. So uh, we're going to go back to the first verse that we had last week. Um, and it's the introduction, and it's Jesus' first announcement of the kingdom of God. And both uh, Matthew and Mark record this very, very similarly. Um, so in, in Mark... Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then in Matthew, from that time, both of these are right after the temptation of the wilderness. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, soon brought about, he preached the gospel, but he hadn't died and and raised from the dead yet. So it's like, how's that? And, and what he's doing here, the word gospel is, is a Greco, in the Greco Roman world, would have been a, what it would have been is a public announcement of good news. And normally and mostly, what that good news would be is the, um, it would be connected with the inauguration of a new king or Caesar, or a great military victory. That's primarily, it's kind of like, you know, when something comes on the television, it's, you know, whatever they say nowadays, you know, it's breaking news or whatever, public announcement, it's about something going on significant in the world. And what, he's, what we have here is this public, what, what's being announced here is that there is a new king. The king has come. To set up shop on this earth. And the announcement, if we go back to last week, again on the second slide here, well actually go back to Christmas, and if you remember Luke 2, we, we shared these verses, it said, But an angel said to them, Do not be afraid, listen carefully, for I proclaim to you, Good news, that brings the gospel, that brings great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among people with whom He is pleased. And I've talked about this, but in, in the past numerous times, what we have here is this is almost exactly the same as a, the public announcement of Caesar Augusta becoming king. Very, very, it would have been 30 or so years earlier. And you can Google the 
Gospel of Caesar Augusta. And it will, if you get the whole thing, it's a little bit long, but you will see all of this language. In, and they have inscriptions of this that are still there today that you can go and see. And you will see all this language 30 years before Jesus was born. And what God is doing is he's saying, sorry, the real king has come. And all other kings are false and not true. When we look at our gospel, and we think about, you know, like the summaries of the gospel, what happened is there, when Jesus came and, and he begins to pronounce himself king, this is his inauguration. But his consummation will come. And when he's saying the kingdom of God is here, and I think it's N.T. Wright said it this way, God has come in Jesus to make everything right, to restore all things. And that, that all takes place because of those summary points. The restoration of everything, making everything right, has to do with his life, his death, and his resurrection. And it's through that that this all happens. That's why it's so important when we talk about the gospel, we understand it as a full story. It's not just do this, end this, and you're saved. That's all fine, but the gospel is this entire biblical story about how God the King is rejected by humanity. And then years and years and centuries upon centuries, millennial upon millennial, he returns to be king again. Both of the verses, the first slide, say the word repent in them. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I just in your own mind, I have to say this out loud. When you hear the word repent, what's the picture? What's the image? Is there an image that comes into your mind? And, and for me, and maybe I'm just a little weird, but... What I think of is, you know, is some preacher who's kind of angry, who's standing up like high at this big old podium, pointing and yelling, Repent, you sinner! And maybe that's not your picture, but there, there, there's a reality we are all sinners. Yes. We all need to repent. Yes. But what he is doing here is something a little, well, that's too narrow and out of focus for what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying, when he says the word repent simply means to turn, change your mind and your heart. And so when he is telling them to do that, he's telling them to turn, change their mind and their heart about the kingdom and about the king. So he is, for, for the Roman, for those who are Gentiles, 
What he's telling them is they need to turn from their current loyalties. To enter the kingdom of God, you must turn from your current loyalties to Roman Caesar. Turn to Jesus saying to him, to Jesus, the kingdom of God. For the Jewish people listening to him, he's saying they must turn, change their mind and their heart about what they expected or wanted the Messiah to be. Because they were expecting one thing, wanting one thing, and Jesus came as something very different than what they wanted. And for all who come to Jesus, it is a coming in faith to Jesus is a, a radical transformation of our identity. But it's changing who we are. We now are fully identified with God, with Jesus Christ in every way. And that's how God makes things right. And that's who the Messiah is. Throughout the Gospel, we, we see this, the Gospels, we see this phrase of entering the Kingdom of God. And it just comes up numerous times. And there are people who Jesus will, in, and, and Jesus invites people in. He's continually inviting people in. And some simply reject the invitation. He, he calls to some and they say, oh, I've got to go bury my father, I've got this, I've got that. And they just reject the invitation. And others, well, they receive it. There's a story in, in the Bible of a, of a wedding feast that Jesus tells a parable. And he sends out invitations to all the invited guests. And one by one, they said back, yeah, we can't come. Then he says, well, I've got to fill this house. And so he just tells him, tells his servants, go out and just gather people on the highways and byways and bring them in. And my house may be full. And, and, and Jesus is just, God is just making this offer to all. Come in. And, he, and he's continually going to make this offer to all. And, and I think we have to be careful and never give up on a person. Because God's offer is always going to be extended to them. And I think it's easy for us to just give up. But often it takes a really long time for that to happen. We don't know who and when. And so that's why we need to love, we need to welcome, we need to accept all into our lives because 
even though they, they may have closed themselves off to that for a long time. We don't know when they're going to be ready and available to it. John talked about, John Ferris last week talked about this already not yet reality. And in one sense, we understand that God is sovereign and he reigns. That one, there's an Old Testament psalm that says he, God reigns over all the earth. But then we, we have this other thing, we talked a little about this last week, how, how the earth is under the power of evil. And so it, it's this paradox for us. How does all this work? And we need to learn to be comfortable with it. This paradox. Because this reign is inaugurated, but it's not yet consummated. And as we read through the whole story, and I'm just, I don't have this on the slide, so there are Bibles all over. If you want to grab one, and we're going to, because I just came to my mind this morning. Revelation, go to the very last page, or second to the last page. Revelation 21. And I'm just going to read this, and notice what's not here. There's a lot of things that are not here. Eli says in verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Okay, first thing. Not there. There's no longer any sea. Now, the sea in, in, is, is represented in the Bible as chaos, darkness, fear, terror. We know it as the beach <laughs> and beauty. Just had a different perspective. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Again, God's with us, right? He's in our hearts. But that's just already, but it's, it's not consummated. He's never going to leave us. But the time is coming where He'll not only be in us, He'll be all around us, in person, living God.
There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, Write that these words are faithful and true. You can read the whole thing and just count up all the things that aren't there. It's a lot of fun. Then I'm going to jump in on Revelation 22. It talks about, he said in any, verse 1, He showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its streets, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their forehead. And then verse 5. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of light of the lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them. And then this line. And they shall reign forever and ever. You know the um, Hallelujah chorus? And he shall reign forever. And this one thing. And they, we, shall reign with him forever. The next slide on the thing, Patty, I hope, is Genesis 1.28. And this is the first time the word reign is used in the Bible. So it's used on the last page of the Bible, and it's used on the first page of the Bible. And here's what it says. And God blessed them. Who are the them? Male and female. Man and woman. This is creation of men and women in his image, male and female. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And now, this translation says rule. The word is reign. Same thing. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth. God has created us, his eternal purpose for us was to partner with him in his rule and reign over all things. What a, what a position we have. When Paul, the psalmist says, for a little while he's made him lower than the angels. Think, for a little while we are lower than the angels. Now, the problem is that partnership was by humanity. And there was alienation, and there was separation, and there was fall. And that's all the reality, and so God has to spend his time working to bring 
bring all of this great story, the gospel story about, to bring everything back to the way it was meant to be. But God being God kicked it up a couple of notches. We will be more glorious than Adam and Eve because of Jesus. That the, the image was just kicked up when Christ died. And he was raised from the dead. Here's another quote. Jesus received human beings, I'm sorry, rescued human beings in order that through them he may rule his world. And he says this, this is empty dragon. In the new way he always intended. I love that. <laughs> he always intended, even from the Adam and Eve whole story, we think, oh, what a disaster. It was always intended for them to rule in a new way. Adam and Eve were to rule in a partial way. We are to rule fully. And, and that new way that any of you, no, you have to raise your hand. But the Bible Project video beginning on the Sermon on the Mount, I really encourage you to watch it if you haven't. That is the new way. The Sermon on the Mount is the new way. And really, in one sense, it's, it's the old way in that we rule as, it's maybe a little out there, but we are to rule as gardeners. Jesus was the first, God was the first gardener. It's not a rule of violence. It's a rule of peace. Now if we go to Luke 4, the next slide on Luke 4, back to Jesus here. This is how Luke presents his first announcement. He says that he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Next slide, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Now, this is Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, and it's Isaiah's interpretation of Leviticus 25, which is the year of Jubilee. So you may know that for, for Israel, every 50 years. Now, think about this. Every 50 years, all land went back to the original owners. It was the law. How would that work in our country? <laughs> Let's use the Bible as our, oh, we're all on that one. So if you bought a house, a 
on the 49th year? Oh, you that. <laughs> you lose it on the 50. You better keep track of those 50 years. Now, there's no record of them ever doing that. <laughs> That's what God said. Like, Jesus is saying, he says, today, this is fulfilled. It says, I am the Jubilee. The year where everything is restored. I am the restoration of all of this. Everything Israel has hoped for is going to take place, he says, in him. And if all is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. <coughs> all debt were forgiven on the year of Jubilee. All of our debts are forgiven in Jesus. Now, both of these quotes, uh, I mean, in these quotes, where it, all these things he talks about, this section, Jesus intends us to take literally and metaphorically. He intends this in both ways. So, he did literally... Give sight to the blind, did he not? <coughs> he did literally heal those who were sick. He literally preached the gospel. He did not empty the prisons. He did not overturn the power structures. He did spiritually. He did metaphorically. And, and we need to look at this and realize they are they're spiritually blind. They are spiritually sick. They are spiritually oppressed. But at the same time, they are also physically. And we need to always do all of these things spiritually. This, these verses Jesus is saying are always applicable to us in a spiritual sense. And sometimes God allows us to do these in an actual, literal sense. And every chance we have to do these in a literal sense, we, do, we should do them. Now, our doing of them will be limited. We will never be able to rid poverty from this world until Jesus returns. It's just a reality. But, we should help the poor. It won't happen completely. And in everything, we need to have a continual focus, always focus, on the spiritual needs of this world. As we go about also doing the more literal things of this world. And then in Luke 4 again, the last passage here, verse 25, he, after he says this, people get really mad at him. And um, he says, yeah, prophets, that's where he says, 
is, is accepted, except in his hometown. And, and then he tells them two stories from their Bible. First Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And the first one in verse 25 says, But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. This, these, and the next story here, let me read it. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. They got really angry. Because to them, the kingdom was about their nation and their land. And what Jesus is saying, it's never been that. <coughs> the nation of Israel and the land were there for one purpose, to be a blessing to all people. And the nation of Israel, all the way back to the Old Testament, forgot that. It was about them. When Jesus announced the kingdom coming, they're thinking, okay, now, back to us as the power. Us in control. And then Jesus tells them these stories about these people that they would think, no, this is not about them. How can you say that? That Isaiah was about them. Those who are out those who are the outcasts, those who are hated, those who are enemies. And Jesus says, no, this is, he just wasn't afraid to tell people those we came for and to this goes way beyond you. There's absolutely no coercion from Jesus. He never forces anyone into the kingdom. He just puts out the invitation and continues to leave it there. And people get to decide what they want. And Jesus is quick to welcome them. You know, he's, he is the Prince of Peace. And we are to be people of peace. The Gospel is a message of peace and joy. No manipulation. You know, it, the story needs no manipulation. Paul refused to use persuasive words of wisdom. He refused it. He could have really wooed him and wowed him. But he had no interest in it. Because he just wanted them to hear this simple message and give them the choice to choose. Give them the opportunity to accept what Jesus is offering. 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you offered to us the kingdom. Wow, that's one way of looking at it. You offered us the kingdom.
that do the benediction, I always go to God and say, how do you want to bless your people? Bless your people through me. So this week I was thinking about epiphanies, and I looked up the definition, and it said, this is normally how we use the word epiphany, but it's a sudden realization again. A sudden realization, a flash of recognition in which someone or something is seen in a new light. So this is God's blessing in my understanding for you. May God fill your year with the patience that you may see him in a new light over and over again and see yourself in light of how he sees you. And see your neighbor in a new light as he sees them. And to see your life and your circumstances in a new light as God's continuing work in you for good. Amen. Amen.